Well, we are starting a new series today. I think it's best just to call it the ministries of Jesus. And here in Luke, the fourth chapter, Jesus lays out his mission statement and his mission statement entails five different ministries that he has come to perform for you. And so uh, we're going to be looking at uh, number one today, and we'll be looking at the other four later on. This passage is uh, one of my uh, just all-time life passages, and it's one that you've heard me mention before, if you've been here before. Uh, he uh, is basically saying, you can sum it all up, and that he has come to free us from our past so we can really live in the present and look forward to the future. That's what is covered here. And that's just the Reader's Digest version. And we're going to take five weeks to cover it in detail. And I've never gone into this in detail before. Uh, one of the reasons this is one of my favorite passages is because I have found in counseling, in Christian counseling, this is what Jesus does for those who come to me looking for answers and solutions. Jesus wants to minister to you. People who have had tough backgrounds, who have been abused as children, uh, people who have uh, had traumatic experiences in their past. Jesus covers all of those here. And today we're going to start with uh, uh, the first one, which is salvation. And uh, that's always the best place to start with anything Christian is with salvation. The cross is the center. The cross is where it all begins for us. And uh, so I'm going to have three points. And point number one is his first sermon. And uh, this is uh, uh, not quite right. It's really his fir- first sermon in his hometown. But it fits here real well. Just say his first sermon. So that's what we're going to call it. His first sermon. This is the first time that his hometown folks are experiencing uh, that. And it would be probably in a synagogue about the size of what we've got here. You had to have at least 13 males in a, that were 12 years of age or older in order to have a synagogue. And so this, nearly every community had a synagogue. And this would have been in Jesus' hometown synagogue, like his hometown church, the church that he grew up in. This was the synagogue that he grew up in. And it says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And so he'd done this before. But notice, he stood up. You see, they stood up when they read the Torah. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, it says. And so he was handed that book. And because it was uh, their chronological reading for that week, he opened it to the scroll of, he opened it to Isaiah. 
It says, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed or bruised is a better word, or even a better word is the word crushed. This word, uh, it depicts something like if a vase fell and was broken, and then people just walked all over it and crushed it into the ground. You know, there are a lot of people in life that that's the way they feel. They've just been walked all over their whole life. Jesus came, if that's one of you, Jesus came to minister to you about that. This is something that it dawned on me this morning about ministry. We, uh, we like for everything to be at arm's length. We don't mind helping people. We're happy to help people. But one thing that people, even in the church, are kind of a lot of people, or especially Methodists for some reason, are kind of, uh, they, they back away from is being ministered to. They want to do for others all the time. They don't mind doing, doing, doing for others. But to have someone minister to you, to serve you, to wait on you, that makes us uncomfortable many times. People are going someplace where they shouldn't go. You know, they, we like our distance. It's okay to hand out, but to receive is so hard. And so as we go through all five of these, remember, these are ministries. Jesus wants to not just show you something, He wants to do something for you personally, not just for the person on the left and on the right of you, but it's just like whenever he had the disciples together in the, in the room for that last meeting and he got down and he washed their feet. That was so personal. That was, uh, going where Jesus just shouldn't ought to go because it was him serving them. And we're going to be talking about things where he wants to do stuff for you. Not just bless you with what you're asking him for, but the big things in life. And so it says, then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant or the ruler of the synagogue. And he sat down. I learned something this past week. The ruler of a synagogue was kind of like uh, uh, the pastor of a church, except he didn't preach. The lay people preached every Sunday and, uh, they, they apparently had an order that they went in and, uh, the, the, the scrolls came out in order, just like a lectionary. And so the, the, uh, chief or the head, the leader of the synagogue, he picked the right scroll and he gave it to the lay person who was scheduled to read that Sunday. And so that's what he did. He did that. Now, he was also the bookkeeper, the, the scribe, the, or the guy that was in charge of the synagogue. He uh, looked out after everything, just kind of like the pastor in a, in a small local church. 
Uh, he, the, he took care of everything except the preaching. And so that was done by the people. And so this is what's happened. And so they are there together. And it says, he sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, that was the text of the day was uh, what uh, uh, he read from the scroll. And uh, they would stand to read from the Torah. The Torah was in a box. The ruler of the synagogue would take it out, hand it to the person who was going to read the text. Then they'd expound upon it. And uh, they'd always stand when they read. And so he stood up. And then they would hand it back to the attendant or the ruler uh, of the synagogue. And they would put it back in the box. And then the layperson of the day would sit down and have the lesson. He would explain what he had just read. Now, just think of the mathematical odds of uh, us just assigning someone to read a, a, a passage out of the current lectionary, and they got up and they read it. And then the person says, this is talking about me. Because that's what happened here. What are the odds for that particular passage to come up on their reading list on that particular day and for him to be the one who is called upon to do the uh, expounding upon it that day? What are the odds? It's just incredible how the Lord can order things, isn't it? How he can make things just fall into place exactly the way that they should. Now, the scripture lesson was not the sermon. Uh, that's the reading of the day. And so he stood up to read, and then he sits down to expound upon this passage. And all the eyes were fixed on him. What's he going to say about this subject? Because this is one of the most important passages in the whole of our Bible. Now, they knew he was a carpenter. They knew that he was the son of the carpenter, of Joseph. And they, they knew that he had left his carpentry business to go into the ministry. And that he'd been in Galilee, and especially Capernaum. And he'd been preaching in synagogues. And they were hearing uh, back that amazing things were being said. It was just incredible, they said, to listen to him expound upon the scriptures. And so they were all excited to hear their hometown boy's first sermon. His first sermon. And he gets probably one of the most difficult passages, a messianic passage, a, a scripture that's about the Messiah, the long looked for Messiah. What's he going to say? They were all fixed on him. And then he shares these words. He preaches probably the shortest sermon ever. Eight words. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture. In other words, he's telling them 
I'm the Messiah. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What you've been waiting for, who you've been waiting for, here it is. Eight words. Wow. So Jesus' first sermon, eight words. Not the reading, that's just the reading of the day. Eight words. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so point, that's point number one, his first sermon. Eight words. Point number two is his first response. Uh, how did they respond to his message? What was it that, how did they respond to it? Verse 22 says, So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words proceeding out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Now, this all sounds great to us, doesn't it? Because we're looking at it from a different perspective than what those people sitting in the pews that day looked at it. You see, it was not great. This is not a good response that's taking place here. Now, I want to explain it to you. First of all, they marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Now, this word marvel is thaumatso. I love that word in Greek, thaumatso. It's a big word. Uh, it means to marvel. It means to be shocked. It means to be astounded. They were astounded. He took a messianic uh, scripture and said, basically, this is me. I am the Messiah. And this marveled means that they were shocked at his gracious words that he said about himself. Okay, now think about this this morning. If I were to say gracious words about Sharon, if I was going to say, you know, Sharon is so kind and she's so wonderful and she's so beautiful, it just kind of, you know, yeah, 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 he's prejudiced. That's just him, you know. Then, then y'all think nothing of it. And I do mean that, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but that's saying it about my wife. But you wouldn't think anything about it. But if I said, I am so kind, I, 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 I'm so wonderful, and I'm just so handsome. Now, if I just stood up here and honestly said that about myself, you would be shocked. You'd be amazed. You would be astounded because here I was uh, just tooting my horn big time. And uh, so, but that's not, so that's, that's what the, the way you should perceive what they're saying here, what's going on. It wasn't just, oh, aren't his words so gracious and so wonderful there? What's he talking about? Where's he coming from? And so, uh, that's what this means. They were shocked at how graciously he spoke about himself. And then it says, they all bore witness to what he said. And we read that thinking, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll testify that, yeah. That's not what it means here. Again, it's different because it means something 
different from what our the way our culture would say. I bear witness to what you're saying. That's not what it means. Bore witness means they spoke or said something about what was going on. They gave a testimony, but here's what they said. Isn't this the carpenter? That's what they bore witness to. That's the comment that they made. This guy, he built my back deck. This guy added a room to my house. And he's been going around preaching and apparently he's had a little bit of success. And apparently, in a very scary way, this success has gone to his head. Because he's saying, today this scripture is fulfilled. I mean, I've been having such good success. I want you to know, I, I really think I'm the Messiah. That's the way they felt. They were amazed, but it wasn't the way that you would think. Then he says, well, I'm just going to read it for you. There are two parallel passages, one in Matthew and one in Mark. And uh, he's in his hometown in these parallel passages where they say, they say, is this not this carpenter's son? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Uh, the, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at him. And they said, uh, and, but Jesus said to them, you probably heard before, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country or his own hometown, among his own relatives and in his own house. And so they were offended at him. And so let's go back to Luke. And let's let's see what they say. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. In other words, I'm sure you're going to tell me I'm crazy, that I need to heal myself. I've healed others, but I'm in need of healing right now. So uh, whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country, they say. And then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And so there are parallel passages. No prophet is accepted in his own country. Now, if you think that this offended them, listen to what he said next. The greatest offense he could possibly give. There is no greater offense that he could have said to these Jewish people than what he says next. In verse 25, he says, But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout the land. Okay, now listen to what he says next, and put yourself in the place of these Jewish people sitting there. But none of them, uh, to none of them was Elijah sent. To no widow in Israel except to Zarephath in that region of Sidon to a woman who was, was a widow, a Gentile, by the way. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman, the Syrian. So Naaman was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. 
He was also a seer and he was actually uh, the commander of the army that was invading Israel. And so this is why this is so bad. There's a huge rift among the Jewish people in that day because the Old Testament prophesied that not only would the Messiah come for the Jewish people and save the Jewish people, but that the Gentiles would seek him and be saved also. And they did not want that. They didn't want the Gentiles saved. The Gentiles had enslaved them for years and years. It'd be like saying, a Messiah is going to come and rescue you from these people who have abused you. And he's also going to rescue your abusers. And you might think if you were them, you don't need to rescue them, Lord. Just, just rescue us. Just, just rescue me. That's the way they felt. And so for him to bring this up was very offensive. There were so many uh, passages about the Gentiles seeking the Messiah. And I just want to show you from one Old Testament uh, passage in Isaiah eleven ten, And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. Now, Jesse was the father of David, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him. Now, think about this. He stands up. He's the carpenter, comes back to his hometown. They, they, they've come to hear their, their hometown boy preach. And he reads about the Messiah. And then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled. I am the Messiah. I'm the one you have been looking for. And they get mad. And then he says, I know a prophet's not accepted in his own country, but let me tell you something else about me. There are many widows in Israel, and Elijah didn't uh, go to any of them. Uh, he went to a Gentile. And there were many lepers in Israel, and Elisha didn't go to any of them. He went to a Gentile. And so he's saying, I'm not just the Jewish Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm the Savior of the entire world. And by the way, that's good news for you and for me, for most of us. But it made them very upset. And please hear me. I'm not saying anything against the Jewish people. You know that. What I am trying to say is it doesn't matter right now, today, what ethnicity you are. Jesus died for you. He's your Savior. Uh, and uh, that's the announcement that he's making. He's making an announcement and he says, I came for everybody. I came for everyone. Now, I told you uh, uh, this was uh, his first uh, response. So we've had his first sermon, his first response. And now then we, now we could have called this his first altar call because, uh, uh, anyway, he, uh, there was a response to his altar call in Luke four, verse 28 says, so all of those in the synagogue. Now that's a pretty good response for a preacher to get all of those in the synagogue. Isn't that good? All of them responded. 
Wow. When they heard these things, it says they were filled with wrath. Now that's not so good. That's not a very good response to an altar call. He ticked every one of them off. Uh, so, and, uh, and they rose up against him and thrust him out of the city. They basically ran him out on a rail. They just ushered him out of the synagogue. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him over the cliff. That's quite a response to a preacher's sermon, isn't it? I mean, they're taking him out to do him in. His first sermon in his hometown, it went over great, didn't it? Oh, okay. He's announcing something. And this is why this sermon is so important. The other passages he had expounded on, but when he came to Isaiah 61, which is the passage that he's reading, he just opened it and he just happened to be in his own hometown. Happened to be this passage and he says, I am the Messiah. And I'm not just the Jewish Messiah. I'm the Savior of the whole world. And people, I want you to know that. And by the way, it says he just passed through in the midst of them. They were there. They carried him out. They were getting ready to heave him over the side of the cliff. And it says he just passed through them. They're going to throw him off. He walked through the middle of them just supernaturally. Many years after his resurrection, they did throw his brother James off the southeast corner of the temple. And then they stoned him and they beat him with clubs until he was dead. And some of you may think, no, the Bible says James was beheaded, but that's James, the son of Zebedee. But James, Jesus' brother, they killed him. And that they wanted to kill Jesus. They were just as irate and full of wrath. That was his response. So why? Because he told them who he really was. And so we're going to be going through these five ministries of Jesus. And so now we get to his first ministry, point number three. And as I say this, I'm not going to be going through all five of them at this point. I'm just, this is it. His first ministry is my last point, just so you keep that straight. His first ministry is salvation. Before I go back to Luke 4, let me read from Matthew 1, 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so he makes two statements in Luke 4 that tell us that his first and primary ministry is salvation. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the good news. Gospel means good news. It doesn't mean good advice. It means good news. So good advice would, good advice would be, you need to do better. That would be good advice. Good news is Jesus has already done it all 
for you. And you just have to believe. There's nothing else you can do but receive the ministry that he's already performed on your behalf. (coughs) Now then, he came to preach the gospel to the poor. And uh, just want to remind you, um, you might think, that's not me. I've got a job. Good job. I'm doing well. But uh, he's not talking about those who are poor financially. He's talking about the poor in spirit, just like he was in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. We're all bankrupt before God. Two words are used for poor. Penis and tokos. Penis means the working poor. And some of you might say, well, that's me. I'm the working poor. As inflation hits, I'm getting to have, I'm getting poorer and poorer. But that's not what it means. Oh, anyway, that's, that's, that's pennies. Tokos with a P, P T O C H or X or whatever you put there to make a sound. Tohos means the begging poor, the needy poor. It means the poor that cannot work. It means that if someone doesn't have mercy on me, I'm going to die. And this is the word that Jesus uses. He came to proclaim good news to the poor. The only way that you're ever going to have heaven is uh, if Jesus has mercy on you. And that's what he's saying. I've come to have mercy upon you. I've come to dispense mercy. And so that's the first thing he announces in verse 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And you've heard me mention this before. This is huge. Everywhere you see the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord in the Bible is the year of Jubilee. And that was a year where all debts were canceled. I like that. That's what happens at the cross. Everything that you have felt the Lord has been holding against you, that debt was canceled when Jesus went to the cross. You couldn't pay it. You couldn't pay the debt that you owed. The only one who could was Jesus. And he went to the cross to minister to you to bless you. And there's so many people that hold back and, and they look around, they think, well, yeah, that was for everybody else, but my sin, my, my beating myself up every day, it's different. No, you're not any different. You need the same blood of Jesus that everybody else does. And it is there for you. You can't add to it. All you can do is receive what he already did for you. The acceptable year of the Lord. And he says, today, today, today is the acceptable year of the Lord. It began back there. What's, what's the, this is 2022. That was the beginning of the acceptable day of the Lord. Every day since then is today. 
the acceptable year of the Lord. If there's something that you have felt just hasn't been dealt with between you and the Lord, it has. And you don't have to carry around the burden of it anymore. There's some people that carry around guilt and shame for their past. Guilt is for what you've done to yourself and you've done yourself. Shame comes from what other people have done to you. Jesus has taken care of it all. A full and perfect sacrifice, we say in the communion service. Have you allowed him to minister to you in those places where you've been dragging that burden around? This morning, I encourage you, I don't care if you come to the altar or not, but just lay that burden before him. Quit carrying around something that he's already freed you from. He is your Savior. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for coming and revealing yourself 